0: Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Woodlow. Hey everyone, happy holidays. I had something in mind for a Christmas episode this year and, well, that thing ballooned out to around two hours of audio. And apologies to everyone, I am burned out and I don't think I could get two whole hours of episode together before the 25th of December. So I'm going to zoom in on one aspect of that episode that I think best sums up this time of year. And I'll release some of the other bits and pieces as mini-episodes for our 2023. Now a few episodes back, we spent some time on the Thames, looking at those poor weeping willow trees... And of course the profligate king who gamed the system with tally sticks made from those trees. Well today we'll return to that river and to that king. The first a flash forward. In 1831 a bridge along the Thames was opened to the public. The project was begun by a Scottish engineer named John Rennie Senior. It took a while. It would be completed upon his death by his son, john rennie jr this new london bridge was a solid dependable replacement for the older london bridge although it looked a little old-fashioned by the time it was completed by the 1960s as motorized vehicle use greatly increased the 1831 bridge became no longer fit for purpose and would itself be replaced the 1831 london bridge would be dismantled and then reassemble brick by brick in a town in Colorado, USA. If the tally sticks were our hero in the earlier tale, then this bridge is the villain of this tale, or at the very least, a massive killjoy. It had a far greater clearance than its predecessor, and fewer arches, and water flowed with ease through those arches. Because of this, the Thames River never froze again. On nine occasions in London's past, not only did the Thames freeze over in winter, but when it did, a frost fair rose up. From 1564 to 1813, rich and poor alike came together on the ice and partook in the carnivalesque atmosphere. In 1564, the event was simply a great outpouring of the people onto the ice. People strolled along the river some played games. Queen Elizabeth I, enraptured by the festive scene going on outside her window, gathered her entourage and joined in on the fun. In 1608 people set up stalls on the ice for the first time. As you made your way through the pop-up village, you could buy a beer or a glass of wine. You could buy fruit or even get a full meal out on the river shoe shops, barber shops and much more besides, set up on the ice. It is Christmas time, 1683, and it looks like, yet again, the Thames is going to freeze. The nights grew longer. A bone-chilling cold pervaded the air. Increasingly large chunks of ice formed on the water, some of those chunks breaking away Endangered the many river ferries supplied their trade on the river. After a cruel year which saw a smallpox epidemic tear through the city, it must be said the people had every right to feel cold, tired and miserable. To want to hibernate till spring and wish good riddance to the year. These people did nothing of the sort. Filled with Christmas cheer they gathered by the riverside in their thousands, and they waited for hell to freeze over. On the twelfth day of Christmas, January 5th, 1684, when, to quote the writer John Evelyn, the air was so very cold and thick, as of many years there had not been the like, the Thames finally solidified into one solid sheet of ice. Was it strong enough to hold a fair? Two men took a bet it wouldn't hold a coach and six horses. Turns out it did easily. All of a sudden, rows and rows of stalls and tents appeared as thousands of Londoners made their way out onto the ice. For three days, the populace forgot all of their troubles and partied among the carnivalesque atmosphere. Then just as quickly, the thaw began people held their breath. But it turns out the frost fair was not done yet. A bracingly cold wind reared up, and the Thames froze back over again. Well, mostly froze over again. Several people found themselves wandering onto less than solid parts, and accidentally fell through the ice. There were several deaths surprisingly this didn't dampen the spirits of the revellers. frost fair partied on. Whatever then passed for weather reporters, looked upon the ice and prophesied the Thames would stay frozen till March. One day a man, well inebriated at Nice Tavern, boasted he could build a three-story house on the ice, spend the night there, then tear it all back down again before the frost broke. Bets were taken on this, and construction began. King Charles II looked out of his window at the teeming mass of subjects below. And forthwith ordered a painter to the palace. Orders were made for a panorama of the scene outside, to remind the king of the joyousness of the crowd. On 23rd of January, Charles ordered a collection be taken from the rich the poor of London. Looking out the window it appears the king began seeing the party goers as people and certainly felt more compassion for them than he had the jewelers of the city. On the 31st the king gathered his entourage and headed out onto the ice himself. He was of course not the only member of the ruling class to take to the fair, It was one of those rare occasions where all classes got amongst it together, cheek by jowl. The aforementioned John Evelyn, a writer, landscape gardener, and when remembered these days, remembered as London's second most famous diarist of the time, to Samuel Pepys, Well, he visited the fair on January 24th. Evelyn wrote... The frost continuing more and more severe, the Thames, before London, was still planted with booths in formal streets. Furnished and full of commodities, even to a printing press. Coaches plied from Westminster to the temple, and from several other stairs to and fro, as in the streets, sleds sliding with skeets, a bull-baiting, horse and coach races, puppet plays, and interludes, cooks, tippling, and other lewd places, so that it seemed to be a bacchanalian triumph, or carnival on the water. City within a city, where all observances of class and everyday sorrows were on hold. A place so remarkable it brought a profligate king, who twelve years earlier had bankrupted all the jewelers in the city, to order a significant act of charity for the poor. Back an Alien Triumph, a carnival on the water, well, such a utopia could not last. Utopias rarely do. First, the Watermen, a trade employing 20,000 Londoners who had been unable to make money during the fair, petitioned to convert their boats to makeshift sleds. When told no, they petitioned for a ban on coach rides across the Thames. If they had to suffer, then why should coach drivers be allowed to profit? But before that could all turn really ugly, it all became a bit of a moot point. And as February 1684 came, the river slowly defrosted. Taverns, stalls, horse races, and all manner of buskers returned to terra firma. The many joys of the great frost fair of 1684 were relegated to the memories of the Londoners. Until the next time, a three-month-long carnival beginning in November 1715. Thank you for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes, get access to exclusive bonus content via my patreon also in the notes if you enjoyed the show please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice share the episode as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow see you back in two weeks time for more tales of history and imagination